Today's reading is John 9, 1 through 25. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned that this man was born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. While it's daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, and no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said this, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and smeared the mud on the man's eyes. Jesus said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went away and washed, and when he returned, he could see. The man's neighbors and those who used to see him when he was a beggar said, Isn't this the man who would sit and beg? Some said it is, and others said, No, it's just someone who looks like him. But the man said, Yes, it's me. They asked him, How are you now able to see? He answered, The man they called Jesus made mud, smeared it on my eyes, and said, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went, and I washed, and then I could see. They asked him, Where is this man? He replied, I don't know. Then they led the man, who had been born blind, to the Pharisees. Now Jesus made the mud and smeared it on the man's eyes on a Sabbath day. So the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. The man told them, He put mud on my eyes. I washed, and now I see. Some Pharisees said, This man isn't from God because he breaks the Sabbath law. Others said, How can a sinner do miraculous signs like these? So they were divided. Some of the Pharisees questioned the man who had been born blind again. What do you have to say about him since he healed your eyes? He replied, He is a prophet. The Jewish leaders didn't believe the man had been blind and received his sight until they called for his parents. The Jewish leaders asked them, Is this your son? Are you saying he was born blind? How can he now see? His parents answered, We know he is our son. We know he was born blind. But we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who healed his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jewish authorities. This is because the Jewish authorities had already decided that whoever confessed Jesus to be the Christ would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's old enough, ask him. Therefore, they called a second time for the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. The man answered, I don't know whether he's a sinner. Here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I see. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I grew up in a church. Um, it was very different than this church. It was very interesting. And I grew up in a church culture where you were supposed to have an amazing story of how you came to faith in Jesus. In fact, the crazier the story, the more legitimate it was. And every time you met somebody at church, there was always this moment you knew it was building to where they would say, tell me about your testimony. Okay, so some of you have had that. And you knew right then and there that you were supposed to share this story about how you were an ex-bike gang member and how you had been serving time and you had you know, done some things we couldn't mention and how in a back alley Jesus had met you and you were now completely transformed. Now, just for clarity's sake, I am not in any way, I am not in any way 
saying that that doesn't happen or even putting those kinds of stories down. I'm just saying that when you're 13, you have straight A's and bad acne. It's kind of hard when your story of choosing to follow Jesus needs to have a narrative arc that's much more Jesse Pinkman than Jesse Cromer. (laughs) And it's not that I didn't have challenges. I had plenty of challenges but it was tough that in our church culture, in a sincere attempt, I'm going to say this about our church culture, it was a sincere attempt to celebrate the power of Jesus to change and transform and a sincere attempt to make Jesus the focus. That was the desire of the church culture. But it ended up at least creating for me a culture where this guy who didn't have a sensational story, and I had a mundane experience, I just didn't know exactly how to relate And over the years, not knowing how to sort of reconcile that, I really ended up pushing a lot of that away. I ended up pushing away a lot of the stories about crazy transformation, radical transformation, radical things going on. And I moved, in my faith, I moved away from those. And I moved moved much towards more things that I could be more secure about, things I could feel like I could relate to, things that were more known and assured for me, maybe things that were easier for me to grasp onto. But I think I lost something. I think when I did that, I lost a little bit of something. I lost, uh, I'd had such a reaction to the sensational and and the things that seemed too big to believe. I I developed a real adversity um, to anything that celebrated radical transformation. If it was, someone came and wanted to share me this amazing story that that was just unbelievable, I was like, that's unbelievable. As in, I'm having a hard time believing it. And I found myself being so cautious and guarded against that experience of my youth that I lost the part of me that could experience the joy and the amazement of what Jesus Christ could do. And the story we read this morning is one that has had significance in my life because I've come back to it many, many times and I continue to go back to it many times. That while I may not relate to the sensational I need to remember and I need to experience the significance of Jesus on a regular basis in my life. Not as a subject or a thing we talk about or a person we talk about, but as somebody that I experience on a day-to-day basis. Somebody that I experience in a real and profound way that brings change and healing and transformation in my own life. Because I think I've lost some of that at times. And every time I hear the story, I'm reminded of the simplicity and the necessity of those truths. Turn in your Bibles to John 9. We're going to use the Big Picture Story Bible to sort of retell this. It's a great book. If you have young kids, I have thoroughly enjoyed Uh, the times that we've spent reading. In fact, it got to be the point where they were just sort of telling me what was going to happen. And uh, it's something that lately I've even thought we need to go back to and and begin to read again as a family. But it's a great, great thing to introduce your kids to. It's really well done. And I I want to use it to retell the story. So we're obviously telling John 9 the story of the man, the blind man that sees. And so Jesus and his disciples are walking along. And the disciples see a man who was blind on the side of the road. And so they asked Jesus the question, who, 
Who sinned? I mean, this tells you a lot about their framing. Who sinned that this man was born blind? He or his parents? And then Jesus sort of frames, frames the situation, frames what's going to happen around his response. He says, neither. This man was born blind so that through him the mighty works of God may be displayed. And so then he spits on the ground, which, you know, is, is kind of crazy. Jesus does that a couple of times. Makes mud out of his spit, wipes it on the man's eyes, and then says, go. Go and rinse your eyes in the pool of Siloam, and you will see. And so the man does that. He goes and he rinses his eyes. And lo and behold, his sight is restored. He can see once again. And this is a man who's never seen before. Can you imagine that moment of being born blind your entire life? I mean, it's always an interesting thing. How do you describe colors? How do you describe things to someone who's never seen? Do you guys ever wonder if the color you see is the color I see? Like, is your orange my orange? I mean, like, sight is so interesting and so unique. And this man receives this amazing gift of being able to experience the beauty of sight. He's a different person. And people are amazed. They're amazed he's healed. Can this be the same man? They argue over this all the time. So they bring him to the Pharisees who are just angry people, right? Like, I imagine like 13 little Napoleons, right? All about this tall, just angry little men all up in arms. This guy can't do this. This guy can't be doing this. He's a sinner. He breaks the rules. This Jesus couldn't have healed you. This Jesus couldn't have done that. This Jesus... Couldn't have opened your eyes. It's, he's breaking a law. And so he says, well, I think he's a prophet. And they bring in the guy's parents and they say, okay, who is this your son? We don't actually believe he was born blind. There must be some trick to this. And they say, hey, this is our son. He was born blind. We don't know anything else. Because they're too afraid they're too afraid of the religious leaders to sort of stand up and testify to what's been done. They're looking at their own son. They see that he's been healed, and they refuse. In some sense, they very much refuse to say, this man must, have, must, be, must be the Christ. And so they bring him in again. They say, give glory to God. This man couldn't have healed you. And he says, look, all I know is this. Because I was blind. And now I see. And the argument continues. Look at verse 26. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Oh. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses but as for this man, we do not know what, where he comes from. And the man answered, and I love his boldness. Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, 
and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not, those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This story to me is just a significant reminder of Jesus, not as a subject, not as a thing to talk about, not as something to dissect or deconstruct or even analyze, but Jesus as a person who brings about a new reality. Jesus as someone who brings about life. You know, I spent six years in seminary getting a three-year degree, and, uh, and it was a good experience. I'm not going to frame it as something bad at all. It was a good experience. But it's easy in that context to spend a lot of time talking about a subject. And Jesus can easily become a subject. And to not have that time spent focusing on experiencing Jesus as a person. And again, I'm not putting seminary down. In fact, I would say that part of the problem of the church culture that I had originally grew up in was that they dissuaded people from using their intellect and engaging scripture in a thought-provoking way that actually shaped and, and informed our culture as to how God desired for it to be. I'm not dissecting the intellect from the heart or the mind from, from whatever. I, I'm actually saying that those two things need to come together. They need to come together if we want to experience what Scripture has for us. And when I was asked to share my story about, like, to share a story that has impact in, in your life, I immediately thought of this story because it calls me to look at Jesus and see him for who he is. Who is he? What does he want to do in my life? Again, it's not about heart versus mind or intellect versus affections. To know Jesus is essential to knowledge. Let me say that again. To know Jesus personally is essential to knowledge. And here, I want to give you, this is a, a, a biblical studies tip this morning. One of the central things to studying Scripture, one of the, the most important things to studying Scripture, specifically studying the Gospels, and I'm going to say this right now, and all you're going to go, that doesn't seem that relevant, but it is absolutely essential to not only get what I'm about to say, but the significance behind what I'm saying. Here it is. The character of Jesus, who he is, what he is like, what he cares about, is so central to Scripture. It is essential to understanding what Scripture is saying to us and what it actually wants to, us to experience and it tends to do in our lives. The character of Jesus is essential to understanding what Scripture is saying and what it intends to do in our lives. If we don't get what Jesus is like, if we don't experience him as a person, then we're not understanding and experiencing what Scripture is saying to us. And I've met far too many people who seem to think they have a grasp on Scripture and yet don't seem to know a darn thing about Jesus, about what he's like, what he wants to do, how he would be if he was standing in the room next to us. 
And the character of Jesus is so essential because especially from the New Testament writer's perspective, what they're saying is, look at his character. That's the character of Yahweh. Jesus comes and he comes to show and says, do you understand what I'm like? You all want to project Yahweh a certain way. The Pharisees, we follow Moses. God spoke to Moses. We know Yahweh because we know Moses. And Jesus is saying, no, you'll know Yahweh if you know me. And I've always loved this story because I see the character of Jesus and I see how I'm called to respond to him. And maybe what speaks to me most of all is the simplicity of the man's response. I love this response. And it's probably one of the best lines, most memorable lines in all of Scripture. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. It says everything it needs to say. Look, here's the power of Christ right here. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. It's the simplicity and the inarguable fact of that statement. It just cuts past all the baggage that I tend to bring into my faith. And it moves me past all the questions. It moves me past all the debates. And it honestly just calls me to let go of any discomfort or uncertainty that I tend to bring into my relationship with Jesus or with, or with the Father. I bring those things in, and God knows it, and God, God knows it's there. But the story tends to call me past and let go of those things and just say, you know, you need to move past them. It points me back, the story, it points me back to the significance of Jesus. And it, and it shows me, what is, he, what is he like? What is Jesus like? Well, first off, this is one significant thing about Jesus, is that Jesus heals. In a very real way, Jesus intends to heal and does heal what's broken. In a very real way. Jesus intends to heal addiction and depression and chronic pain and blindness and anger and injustice and racism and abandonment and anxiety, slavery, violence, oppression. Jesus heals. And I can't explain all the situations that exist in the world where he doesn't seem to heal, but I can't ignore all the places where he has. And I've needed to be reminded of that time and time and time and time again in my life. Secondly, Jesus transforms. Jesus doesn't just fix what's broken. He doesn't put a band-aid. He doesn't come along with duct tape, bailing wire, and some super glue and say, okay, I've patched it up. It's good to go. Jesus actually transforms. The man is no longer left to be a beggar because there's a new reality when his eyes are opened. There's a new opportunity for the man when his eyes are open that wasn't there before. Jesus doesn't leave him the same way. He is transformed. And I think a lot of times we have a perspective in, in the things that we need healed, I just need this fixed. It's like I look at my car and I see a dent. I just want the dent fixed. And then it'll be back to where it was. And we go, no, no. Jesus does more than that. We, so oftentimes we look and we say it's either A or B. And Jesus goes, no, it's like Z. I'm talking W and X. There's so many other possibilities that I can bring about that you, you are so binary and boring. You expect so little. I could do so much. Jesus demonstrates God's mighty deeds. Don't call them miracles, because Scripture doesn't call them miracles. They're called mighty deeds. They're called mighty deeds. God moves in mighty ways. It isn't just some like 
Some like wizard? God isn't a wizard. God is the one who is behind physics and reality and all these things, and he wants to demonstrate his mighty deeds. Jesus called the wind to stop and the seas to be tamed because who does that? Yahweh does that. And he still does that. There isn't a power in this world that he doesn't have control over. There isn't a news story that comes in and your ten things you need to know today by the week that Jesus doesn't have power over. Even though we live in a world in which it doesn't feel like it, Jesus has power over all those things. And he desires to to do mighty works in and through me. His disciples asked him, who sinned, this man or or his parents, that he was born blind? And what does Jesus' answer say? Neither. Neither he nor his parents. This happens so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. Could you imagine being that guy? I don't know if he heard it, but could you imagine being that guy and hearing that? And picture how, however old you are right now. I don't care if you're 5. I don't care if you're 55. I don't care if you're 95. Could you imagine hearing that? Here's what I think I know from pastoring. Is that most people nowadays, if they heard Jesus say to them that you've been blind your whole life because God wants to do mighty works in your life, you would tell Jesus where he could stick that statement. You would. Most people in this world have this sort of desire to say, well, I'm just being real and raw. That just angers me. And yet this scripture calls us to say, wow, maybe I should humble myself to receive that. Maybe I should receive that, that, that God wants to do something mighty in my life and I can't explain why. I can't explain why I've experienced this burden. I can't explain why I've experienced this brokenness. But I am open to receiving God's mighty works in my life. And so the story invites me to respond in these simple ways. God wants to display his mighty works in and through me. Am I open to that? I have to think about that regularly. Am I open to that? Am I open to the struggle? Am I open to the struggle of depression? Am I open to the struggle of anger? Am I open to the struggle of fear and worry, of frustration? Am I open to those things in my life going, oh, maybe God wants to do a mighty work in this? And the, the religious leaders couldn't see it. There's a great line right there at the very end. Are we also blind? And it is a commentary by the author that who is blind in this story? They are. They named it. Jesus even said, you just named it. If you were actually blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you just named it. You're not, and you can't see this. And so, yeah, you are blind. Do I have the ability? Do I have the ability to receive from God, the works that he wants to do in and through me. Do I believe that total, not transformation, but total change is possible? I, you know, and I, and I say, I cross off transformation. It's easy to use the word transformation. No, do I actually believe, put the word total in front, total change is possible. The man was blind, now he's not blind. Total change. Not, well, my eyesight got better, or this got better. I want this. No. Do you believe? And I'm not just saying, do you expect that everything in your life is going to be perfect? Do I believe that? No, there is a possibility in Jesus that this could be a totally different situation. This could be a totally different thing in my life. I do believe in the bike gang member who's done some crazy things, experiencing total change is now a different person. Spend time with Steve Wack. He'll tell you about some of the stuff that they experienced. I believe in those things now. I've stopped being so against them. 
but I have to be reminded that total change in Jesus is possible. And I have to want it, and I have to want to receive that. And lastly, I mean, I think it starts with this. I have to acknowledge, I'm blind, I need healing. I mean, that's what it comes back to, right? I mean, and I don't want to, my life has not been straight A's and, um, well, the acne has gotten better, but it hasn't been straight A's and an easy road since then. There's been plenty of times that I've experienced some pretty profound challenges, some pretty big devastations. And no, I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't committed any felonies. I haven't taken any drugs. I haven't done some of those things. But I've, I've had moments in my life where I've had to say, I am totally blind or I am in complete need of healing. And then I've had times since then, and I've experienced it, and then I've had times since then that I'm saying, you know what, I still need just as much healing today as I did when Jesus first healed me. I still need that healing just as much in key areas of my life as I did when Jesus first touched my life. You know, and, and to say that in this room, this room is a group of gifted, talented, stable, well, relatively, most of you are relatively stable, reasonably emotionally balanced people. But to say that in this room full of very capable people, we do need a regular reminder of our own need for healing and that it is offered freely. There's no hoops we have to jump through. Jesus isn't, isn't saying, you need, to, you need to acknowledge me. He's saying, I want to heal. I want to offer you those things. I want to offer you a new reality. But it does, I think, start with an openness to receive it. The Pharisees couldn't see it. They were not open. They had precluded before the story even began that Jesus couldn't do this. And they're the ones at the end of the story who are left in the bondage of blindness. There's good news. There's good news. And the story is one in which I feel the gospel preached to me on a regular basis that Jesus wants to heal. Jesus wants to touch those parts of my life. As a real person, Jesus wants to work in my life in a way in which I actually experience healing and transformation, total change, and new realities. Why? Because he loves me. Because he has called me to be part of the family. Because he wants to display God's mighty works in my life. And I, I, I need that reminder to just desire it. It's so easy to go about my day and to regularly just be, I need to get this done, I need to get that done, I need to, I need to have this stable, I need to fix this. And, and not, just, not to just stop and say, hey, Jesus, I'm hurt and I need healing. I'm angry, and I need healing. I have an addiction, and I need healing. I have a broken marriage, and I need healing. I have a kid that I can't relate to, and I need healing. I'm scared, and I need healing. I don't think there's been any part of my life in which I couldn't point to something significant and say, this hurts, I need healing. And Jesus is regularly offering that to us. It does take humility, however, to receive it and to say, I want that from Jesus. There's a great story in Luke. There's a great story in Luke in which two men meet the resurrected Jesus. And they're walking along and they're talking to him and they don't know it's Jesus. 
And he's asking about what's going on. They're like, you know, here's all these things that have gone on. They're telling the story of Jesus. And, and, and they finally sit down and they're traveling along with him. It's on the road to Emmaus. They're traveling along with him. And then they sit down and they begin to break bread with him. And he takes the bread and he breaks it. And the scripture says it's at that moment that their eyes were open. And so this morning, as we come to take communion, as we, once again, 2,000 years later, have Jesus break bread with us, my prayer for all of us is that we would have our eyes opened in whatever way Jesus wants to open them this morning, and that we could come down and receive.